I thought it would be easier to see than that. I have a reason for using this screenshot. And the reason is found in the first phrase of verse 42, Acts chapter 2. There are some fundamentals of Christianity. Among them are these listed here. There's a lifestyle that we should live if we want to be physically strong and healthy. The same is true of spiritual life. And these things should be part of every Christian's lifestyle. And I have this screenshot here because some people have asked me about this, but I wanted to show those of you who don't know what it looks like. This is a screenshot from a free website. It's called BibleHub.com. <laughs> it is. If you're in BibleHub.com, you are surrounded by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volumes of the best commentaries ever written from Christian scholars in the Christian faith. You're surrounded by atlases where you can quickly look and see the references on a world map that applied to a particular time or era in biblical history. Concordances. Uh, oh, I bet there are 24 icons that start out the page and then each icon has an untold number of resources when you click on it. This particular one comes from the icon that says interlinear. People ask me these days, what version of the Bible should I get? I tell them, get an interlinear, learn how to look, use it. Because it takes you to the original text and, and you can see just how the apostle in this case in the New Testament was inspired to write it. So this is how, this is how I begin a Bible study. Now I'll admit I have probably, I don't know about <laughs> those, those softwares, I guess they cost 10 or $12,000. And thank the Lord I had time to pay for it. They gave it to me over time. But um, those are for really deep, Biblical structural uh, learning, higher, higher exegetical criticism and so forth. But I'll tell you, this right here is where I start in BibleHub.com. So there are YouTube instructions. There are other instructions. All you have to do is ask Google, how can I use BibleHub.com? And it'll pop up all kinds of ways that you can study and use it. And here's why I'm saying all this, because I want you to notice the first phrase about Christian life. They were, now they were steadfastly continuing. Pros carteruntes. And you even see how to pronounce, how it's transliterated above it, right? Steadfast, these are the early disciples of Christ, the early church. 
They're the foundation. They are our examples. Steadfastly continuing. That means that that means they were persistently putting an effort into this. They were steadfastly continuing in the teaching of the apostles. Now you and I have a New Testament and to us synonymous with the term apostles would be New Testament. The teaching of the apostles has been preserved by the Holy Spirit of God perfectly in the New Testament. Now when they wrote it, they wrote it in that Koine Greek language. The Koine Greek language is a language that is frozen in time. Here's what I mean. Now the Greek language has changed several times through its history. It was classical Greek, Koine Greek, and there was Byzantine Greek, and on and on until today it's modern Greek. But Koine Greek was frozen in time. It was the Greek that Alexander the Great introduced to the world and he forced the world, the common man of the world in which he conquered to learn this language. This was the common, Koine means common. It, It was the common language of the people of the day. Therefore, when the New Testament was written, the letters were sent out and people could read it. It's frozen in time because shortly after the era of the writing of the New Testament, the civilized world gave way to Latin. And Koine Greek was frozen where it was, and what morphed from that was Byzantine Greek. So when you read the Koine Greek, you can know that it is not a fluid word. It's like in English, for example, we have words that have had meanings in years past, and the same word means something else today because it's a fluid language. Koine Greek is not, just like the classical Hebrew of the Old Testament. God saw to it, they were frozen in time, so the words always mean the same. So the the early Christians were, with great effort, persistently continuing in the teaching of the apostles, the decay teaching. Some may say doctrine. It's an interesting word. It means an established teaching that is to be sincerely taught and expected to be applied by the one who reads and studies it. This should be us in our lives when we talk about the New Testament. This is what they were doing. They took what they had. Today, today we are so blessed that we have the completed canon of Scripture. Not only that, we have things like this that can help us in the deepest study ever known to man just by those of us sitting at the kitchen table or whatever. We're online, we go to this thing and we, we, just, do all, you know, we just do all kinds of studies here. You can... You can do a word study by punching one of those numbers above the word and see where the word comes from, the origin of the word, the various ways it's used in the New Testament. Oh my goodness. Not only that, you learn voice, tense, and mood of, uh, of the uh, verb, or in the case of a, a noun, it's the, the gender and the, 
the case, gender and singular, plural, and all those things teach you something very, very clear about the scriptures. We've referenced those things through the years. It's important for us to do everything we can do as Christians, especially in a day of such darkness and deceit. Isn't this a day of darkness and a day of deceit? You can't believe anything except the Bible. The only thing that has stood the test of time is the blessed word of God. Science books are always changing because they're not absolute truth. They think they are when they're published and then they have to give way to something else. Because it's been discovered that what they were claiming as truth wasn't really truth at all. Even history books. You know, today they're going to rewrite history, you know. You, you can't, but you can always know that God himself, the psalmist says that God has established his word above all of his name. Now think about that. The name and reputation of God at stake when it comes to the word of God. The only ones really who can be fed the word of God are those who have been born again, who have the spirit of God in their hearts. Because the spirit teaches us by our spirit. People who are dead in sin, lost and undone, unsaved and in darkness, they can read these words, doesn't mean a thing to them. While they can read it in the simplest translation available, doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't speak to their hearts. Because they're lost. They don't have the Spirit of God. But for those of us who have the Spirit of God, we're saved, born again, regenerated by the power of God. We have this powerful truth, this book. And I've told you many times, I don't know how many times in my life, I have read the Bible all the way through. Dozens, maybe scores of times. Because that's, that's what I do. I've been more than 40 years a pastor. And before that, I was the son of a pastor. And I used to read the Bible on my own, believe it or not, as a kid, a teenager. But every time I read it through, it will say something new and different to me. Because the writer to the Hebrews says that the Word of God is alive. It's living, it's alive. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts this way and that way, and it cuts the soul from the spirit. I need that. I'm a flesh man, I'm a soul man, and I'm a spirit man. Don't ask me to show you my soul man. The Richter scale will hit 7.5 probably. <laughs> but the spirit man is the man who is fed by the word of God. And I come to realize that the soulish part, the emotional part of me is in error so many times. My soul can sin against me. And so the word of God tears that part of me, the soul part of me away, and I'm strengthened in the spirit. Man, that's what the Bible does for us. Our first example here is to with great intent and effort continue in the teaching of the apostles. The word, again, the word teaching with a view to understanding that it is established 
It is true and it is to be applied to my life. That's what that whole didache, that's what that word means. Of the apostles. That's the first thing. Second thing. And in the fellowship. Tekoinonia. That's a definite article. There is a fellowship, a, a fellowship that is peculiar to the body of Christ. When we come to Christ and we are in Christ and we're a local body of believers, we share everything. We share, first of all, our lives in Christ. What that means is we all understand that we came to Christ from various paths, but it was Almighty God who drew us into that salvation. We were powerless to it. It was the power of God that drew us and saved us. And some of us came from this background and some of us came from that background and some of us came from this kind of sinful life and some of us came from this kind of sinful life. But in Christ, accepting the blessed holy word of God, we understand that we were all in darkness until God saved us in Christ. And we share this life in Christ. So what happened before is really, it doesn't mean anything. We're in Christ. The sinful life from whence I was saved was just as dark and wrong and sinful in the eyes of the Lord as the most heinous sinful life one could imagine. But in Christ, all of that's gone away. Christ put it away. So we have this fellowship, a local body of believers, and we, we're together in Christ. In this moment, in Christ we share our physical lives together. If one of us hurts, we all hurt. If one of us has a need, we all have needs. And if one of us is sad, we are all sad until we all were together to work that sadness out and make it become a blessing, happiness. That's who we are. This is the word, tekoinonia. We have all things in common. We participate actively in the life of Christ. And we can't be separated from it. This is the way they were. And this is the example that they gave to us. This is the foundation of who we are today in this verse 42. The next thing we're going to observe today, the breaking of the bread. Klesi. Greek word translated breaking. It is, it is peculiar to Luke. No, Luke wrote Luke and Acts. It's Lucan, as they would say. That word is not seen like that in other accounts. It belongs to Luke. The definite article is used, you see there, te classic, the breaking to artu, of the bread. The definite article used, the breaking. That's the Lord's Supper. It is something that we share together as believers. And it goes beyond the walls of this church. You're here today and you're a believer in Christ. 
You're part of the grand fellowship of the active, militant, living church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we accept you today as part of who we are so that you can participate in this with us. Because we have this in common that we are under the blood and the body of Christ who died for us. So the next thing is we have this thing in common, the breaking of the bread. You know, Christ performed miracles. He defied nature. He walked on water. In his resurrected body, he flew. He went through solid objects. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He walked on water, stopped the storms, cast out demons, stymied, stifled, and tied up the devil himself. For all that he did, it was there in his suffering just before he was crucified. Of all that he did, he asked us to remember him by one thing. And that is the Lord's Supper in which he says, this is my body and this is my blood given for you. The one thing that we are to remember together, he died for me. He died for me. God graciously applied it to my life. What he had determined for me in all of eternity, he brought about in time on that particular day when according to God's calendar and book of my life, it was determined that on that day, he would convict me, prick my heart, call me with a call that I could not resist and brought me into his salvation. And I've been trying to build on it ever since. Sometimes I've failed and sometimes I've looked the other way too many times. But he continues to speak to me, bless me, build me, strengthen me because he has assumed all of the responsibility. And he knows how to get my attention. He knows how to get your attention. If you're in Christ. We remember Christ by what he did on the cross. He wrote something in the dirt one time that wasn't recorded, doesn't even say what he wrote. John concludes the gospel, he said, there is no way we could write everything that Jesus did. <laughs> they wrote some of it. But Christ did so much for so many there was no way humanly possible in the day of John that it could all be recorded so that people could see it and read it. Just, just preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit in four gospel accounts, each with a different flavor so that we could get the totality of the wonder of the Christ of God. But how are we to remember him? Christ made this personal request do this in remembrance of me. Finally, and the prayers. Tice, 
prosukais. In the plural, dative, feminine, plural, article, follows the noun, always identifies the noun. Hey, you get into that, you'll learn all that stuff. It means that prayer is a way of life to us. They prayed at certain times, of the, at appointed times of the day in Judaism from the temple in that day. But we are the temple now, you see. The Holy Spirit of God has taken up his residence in the lives of believers. And thus we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church today is the presence of God in the world. In this present day. Teaching, preaching, evangelizing, sending forth missionaries, taking care of people, the hands and feet of Christ, the mouthpiece of Christ, the teacher, explainer of the word, and the one whom God would use to physically call the unsaved to Christ. And God uses that according to his purpose and his will. And so we pray. Our prayers, we've seen in the Revelation how the prayers of the saints are collected by God in bowls in heaven. We pray it the best way we can. The Holy Spirit interprets it the way that it ought to be ascended. And then it becomes a sweet smelling savor in the presence of God. It is preserved by God in heaven until in the last day those prayers are discharged as a mighty weapon against the unbelievers in the time of the judgment of God upon the world. Those prayers are important and there's more than one. We pray about everything. Lord, I'm in a hurry. Should I run this red light or not? Well, that's kind of a no-brainer. You're supposed to obey the laws of man as far as you can unless they oppose God. Pray about everything. What do I do about this? What about this person? Lord, my attitude just doesn't seem right here. Help me. God, I, I don't know how we're going to make the month. Help us. Lord, we have needs. Help us. God, the church has needs. God, we need to go more forward. We need to see people come to Christ. Help us. Lord, give us the resources. Give us the direction. Put our path across the paths of those whom we should meet and to whom we should talk. Help us to understand that there's never just a happenstance meeting between believers and other people. Thank you for your will and your word and for all that you've provided and given to us. Oh, Jesus, come today, would you? I don't even want to wait till election. I sure don't want to wait that long. We pray about everything. The prayers. Now they were with great effort, steadfastly continuing 
in the established teaching of the apostles and in the fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. That's who we are in Christ. This lays a great foundation for us as a lifestyle to live in this life in Christ. Now, we have our Lord's Supper cups.